Amen. Our scripture for this morning comes from 2 Corinthians. We'll be reading from the 8th chapter, verses 7 through 15. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 7 through 15. Now as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in our love for you, so we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. I do not say this as a command, but I am testing the genuineness of your love against the eagerness of others. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I am giving my advice. It is appropriate for you who began last year not only to do something, but even to desire to do something. Now finish doing it, so that your eagerness may be matched by completing it according to your means. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. I do not mean that there should be relief for others and pressure on you, but it is a question of a fair balance between your present abundance and their need, so that their abundance may be for your need in order that there may be a fair balance, as it is written, the one who had much did not have too much, and the one who had little did not have too little. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you because I know that you're going to speak to us through it today. I ask, O oh Lord, that you will give me your thoughts to be my own, and that you will speak exactly what we need to hear from you this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what it says to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Excel. When I was in uh, seminary, my first year, my mom gave me a keychain that simply had the word Excel. It was, I still remember it like it was today because it was in bright red letters and gold trim. You couldn't miss it. And it was about, about that big. So it wasn't extremely practical to use. But I remember that my mom gave it to me, and back then I was getting started, so I didn't have many keys. I had two keys, <laughs> key to my house and key to my car to get to school and back. And so I put it on that keychain that said Excel, and I used that keychain as a reminder that my parents wanted me to excel in all things. Now, in order for you to understand where I'm coming from with that, you have to understand that I lived in a kind of household that when I got home with my report card, my dad would look at my grades, which were all A's except for one that was an A minus, and he would go, what happened with this A minus? It was a lot of pressure in my house to really get good grades. And my dad was always pushing me to excel, to be able to do more, to be able to do better. But sometimes that felt like a lot of pressure. 
It felt hard to meet that bar of excelling. So when my mom gave me that keychain as I was going to school, at first I had like that negative reaction of, oh great, more pressure. I just started seminary. But as I lived into my time in seminary, I remember pulling out that keychain at different times and looking at it and being reminded that what my mom was trying to tell me was that God wanted me to give my best to everything I did. That God did not want me to be mediocre in my prayer life. That God did not want me to be mediocre in my study of the word. That God didn't want me to just go halfway when it came to helping the neighbor. That God really want me to, wanted me to give my very best. And that giving our very best was excelling. When Paul writes to the Corinthians, I imagine that some of them had a similar reaction to the word excel. Because Paul did not just want them to excel in some things. He wanted them to excel in everything. You know, if you look at your child and go, I want you to be excellent in absolutely everything, it's going to feel overwhelming, isn't it? It's a lot to excel in just a few areas, much less in all areas. But Paul says to the Corinthians, you excel in faith, you excel in speech, you excel in knowledge, you excel in eagerness, and now, by the way, you excel in love, and by the way, I want you to excel in even more. You can see how this can come across as a little bit much. I want you to excel even more. And here's the area I want you to excel in, in generous giving. I want you to excel in generous giving. In order for us to understand the context of this, we have to hear the backstory. As Paul went around starting his churches in the Gentile community, one of the things that he wanted to do was to keep the Gentile church completely connected to the Jerusalem church. He did not want to start all these different churches that were disconnected from each other. He wanted them to be part of one body, the body of Christ. He wanted the church to be one church. And so as he went and he taught in these places and he started these churches, he talked to the leadership and he said, I, I want you to understand that I am here sharing the gospel with you because of this church in Jerusalem that has started this spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're connected to them and we're indebted to them because if it wasn't for the Jews, we wouldn't have Jesus. If it wasn't for the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem that began to spread the gospel and began to share the good news of his resurrection, we wouldn't have the good news of the resurrection. And so Paul kept teaching his churches, I want you to know that, that these, these people over here, we, we owe them a great debt. And one of the things that we want to do is we want to do something. We want to do something, an action, something that shows them that we really believe in Jesus Christ, that we really are serious about this faith. And so he encourages churches to begin a collection to help the poor in Jerusalem. He said, we're going to collect an offering, basically, and we're going to send it back to Jerusalem so that when they receive it, they will know that you really mean it. Because you know, when you put your money where your mouth is, people take you seriously, right? 
When they see that you back it with your resources and your time and your effort, they see that you're taking it seriously. And so Paul wanted them to do this, this great offering. He encouraged all the churches. And as he went around and he talked to Corinth, the Corinthian church said, yeah, we want to do that. We want to do that. We, we're on board. We're right there with you. We will do an offering for the church in Jerusalem to help those who are in need problem is that Paul left to continue his missionary journeys and you know out of sight out of mind he was gone doing his missionary journeys and he was going to return on his next cycle around to do what to get the offering only Paul had people in the church that kind of kept him informed of what was going on through letters and correspondence he always heard about the things that were going on in the Corinthian church. And I'm pretty sure he found out they didn't collect the offering. He found out that they hadn't done what they said they were going to do a year before. He found out that they hadn't followed through, that even though they had been so eager to do this at the beginning, that they had not done what they said they were going to do. And so he writes them in this letter to remind them of their commitment. To collect this offering but he wants them to understand that this is not an order or a command he says I'm not I don't say this as a command but I am testing the genuineness of your love against the eagerness of others you see churches like the Thessalonians who were much poorer than the church of Corinth had already been collecting their offering. They had already been doing their part. They had already been fulfilling what they had committed to by collecting that offering and having it ready for Paul when he came. And Paul did not want the Corinthians to be embarrassed when they showed up with the representatives of all the other churches and they didn't have their stuff together and they hadn't collected the offering. And so Paul writes them to say, look, Others are doing it. You need to get on the ball and complete what you have committed to. You know, sometimes we do that with our children. Your brother or sister is getting good grades. What's wrong? Come on, let's get it going. We do that sometimes to encourage each other by putting a little competitiveness in our step, right? Well, you know, you can do it because your cousin did it or your niece did it or your nephew did it or somebody else did it. We look for an example of somebody who actually committed to something and actually did it in order to encourage others to be able to do it. And Paul was using that example of the other churches to say, if they did it, you can do it. And then he explains why we are to do it. He says, it's not because of duty or obligation. It is because we are already blessed by what Jesus did for us, that we do what we do. You know, he who had everything made himself poor by taking human form and coming into this world to die for our sins. He gave everything for us so that we could be saved. If he became poor for us and gave everything up for us, how can we do not want to do everything we can for him? 
but Paul doesn't want it to be an order because he knows if he orders it, it's just going to be a mandate. It's going to be a command. It's going to be something that they're doing out of duty. So he says, this is just my advice. I'm just giving you advice at this point. Finish what you start. Finish what you start. You know, when I shared with the children about all the projects we had at home during this last year and a half that we said we would get done if we only didn't have to go anywhere or do anything, and we never did them. You know, this, this is true about us. We start stuff, and we don't always finish it. We're very eager and enthusiastic at first, but we don't always follow through. When spring comes every year, I hit every Home Depot I can find because I want to find some seeds for my garden. Have you ever been guilty of buying more seeds than you ever planted? Anybody? You know, I had a, at one point I had a drawer full of seeds because I would always go in there and be like, oh yeah, I have to have this one and that one and that one and that one. We were eager. We were excited. We looked at the potential of what we could do. And then what happened? We didn't always follow through. We didn't always do it. Paul is trying to encourage the, the Corinthians to actually follow through and do what they have committed themselves to do. But he also knows that there's going to be some pushback. You know, whenever we have a special offering or something, there's always somebody that goes, well, why do we have to do that? Why do we have to help them? Well, I got my own stuff going on. What, why should I do that? And so Paul explains that it is important for us to do these things and to desire to want to do them because of who we are in Christ, because we are blessed because God has provided. He says, I'm only asking you to give out of that which you have been given. You know, this is one of the great things about the tithe. If you have no income, God says, you have nothing to give. You don't have to give because you have no income. But if you have something coming in, give a tenth back to me. Give a tithe, a first fruits, of what you receive as a way of affirming that you believe that I am the provider of all things that you have and that that 90% will be enough because I have provided for it. Paul says, hey, you give from what you have, not from what you don't have. So many times we look at our commitment to God and start questioning how much we can do because we look at what we don't have rather than at what we have. And then we limit ourselves in our giving, and we don't excel. We put boundaries on our giving. When I went to Covington to pastor, um, geez, over 15, 16 years ago, we went from being a two-income household to being a one-income household. Anybody ever done that? It's, it's hard to do that, especially with three little kids. They eat like crazy at that age. And it was difficult to do. And I remember that we didn't know how we were going to do it. And there were times in which we were wondering if it was going to be a cereal week or if we we're actually going to be able to afford hot dogs and macaroni and cheese or ramen noodles. 
I mean, it was that kind of tight. We literally didn't have two nickels to rub together most of the time. And I remember talking to a church member and saying, you know, we're just having a hard time. I don't know what we're going to do. And I was in Covington, remember. This is farm country. So he turned to me and he said, well, all you need is a garden. And I said, oh, that sounds great. I've never done a garden. What do I do? Before I knew it, this man had a full-size tractor as big as, as the reserve all the way to here going through the parsonage yard tilling a spot as big as the chapel for me to grow a garden. And you know what happens when somebody tills up a spot for you as a garden? You got to plant it. At that point, you've been encouraged. You've been given everything you need. You have no choice but to move forward. God has made a way, and you don't know what you're doing, but you still have to step forward in faith. And I got to tell you, I had no clue what I was doing. This was my very first real garden. Before that, I was like a lot of people. I had one plant in a little pot that I watered and hoped for the best. But this was not a little plot. This was a full-size garden. And I remember that the kids were little, and the, the plot was so big, and we needed mulch, that I had them all grab a bucket and go around the pine trees collecting mulch so we could mulch the garden so we wouldn't have to weed later. And I remember that they eventually rebelled, turned the buckets over and sat down and went on strike. But the story goes like this. We planted more than I ever thought was possible. And God gave a harvest, not tenfold, not fiftyfold, a hundredfold. We began to collect so much that we would bring a basket this big to the church every Sunday for people to grab tomatoes and squash and zucchini and okra. And I was such a good farmer that I brought an okra this big. Only to be told that I was doing it wrong. You're supposed to pick them when they're little. But I thought bigger was better, right? And I had all this, and we couldn't pick the stuff fast enough. People started coming by the parsonage in order to pick up food. And anybody who found out about it was welcome. It was out in the open next to the parsonage house. And it became an outreach to the community. People began to come and just grab tomatoes and talk. And that gave us an opportunity to witness and to tell people about our story, how God was providing for our house. And I can't tell you how many tomato sandwiches I had that summer. I lost count. But I can tell you one thing. That garden produced for six straight months. And it produced so much food, we couldn't even get rid of it fast enough. Some of it just went to waste because it was so much. I'm telling you that story because even out of that garden, the first fruits were brought to the church. They were brought as a sign of God you have provided and here's, here's 
what you have provided to share with your people. It became a, a way for us to testify to others that even if you don't have enough, God can provide enough, that God can multiply, that God can do far more than you think is possible. And it became a way of us teaching about giving and tithing. You know, that was the first appointment where my tithe actually went down because my wife wasn't working. It was the first time since I had been in college that my tithe ever went down. It always went up with my salary and everything else. And I was feeling so bad about that. And God gave me that garden, and it was a way for me to give more back to God. It was a way for me to be blessed and then bless others. And it became a testimony to the whole community. People came to the garden, and they could not believe the production out of the garden. And I'm going to tell you something. It was a God-given garden because I have tried to grow one like that since, and it's not worked. And I've done everything I could. I've fertilized. I've, I've, I've done everything I could. Like I tried to, to replicate. And let me tell you something. It was a God-given blessing. God poured it out. And when God does it, it just overflows. And it was such an incredible witness. But it taught us that giving was more than just my tithe. It was everything that I received from the Lord. My time, my energy, my fruits. Everything that I can imagine that God has given me. I've got to give back to God in service. And what Paul was saying to the church in Corinth is, you were eager to do this at the beginning. You were excited to do this a year ago. You need to capture that eagerness again. You need to want to do this and you need to fulfill it it's good to fulfill it and match that eagerness with action finish what you start give from what you have been given you know eagerness is not everything eagerness is just half the battle wanting to do something is just half the battle the second half is actually following through and doing it. So how do you excel at this generous undertaking? You get eager about contributing to the kingdom of God in whatever way you can. You get excited about what God is doing in the world. And then you do everything you can to be a part of what God is doing. You do everything you can to make sure that you fulfill that which you commit to him. A year and a half ago, a lot of our commitments came to a standstill, didn't they? It was like the world went on pause. And now we're trying to unpause and move forward again. Today, like Paul, I want to encourage you to fulfill that which you've committed to the Lord. Anything that you had put on pause because of this COVID season, anything that you put to the back burner because we had to deal with this crisis, anything that you left undone in terms of ministry, in terms of giving, in terms of loving, in terms of doing the things that a Christian does, it's time to unpause and it's time to get eager again about the kingdom and it's time to expand it until it overflows because it's time to see the rich harvest that God has for us. Paul explains that it might seem like he's asking for a lot. It might sound to you like I'm asking for a lot. But all I'm asking you to do is to excel at that which God has put in your heart.
to excel at that which God has placed in your plate and to do your best to be a blessing to others through that. Paul explains that it's a fair balance. Those who are blessed and able to do more, do more, and those who have need are blessed and supplied so that they can be lifted up. That is what we do in ministry all the time, isn't it? To look for those who are less fortunate, to look for those who are lost, to look for those who are hungry, and to fill those needs as Jesus had instructed us. You know, it's not a coincidence that Jesus said to be with the lowly, to be with the downtrodden, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked. You know, these weren't just words. These were actions he was inviting us to undertake. And I got to tell you, I'm proud that we as a church have continued to do that even through this year and a half. I'm proud to say that we have continued to do our part to try to excel at these things. But as my father would say, we can only always do better and we can always do more. Let us excel at this generous undertaking of spreading the kingdom of God, of sharing the blessings that we have received, of resourcing the ministry to reach more people, and let us see the harvest that God has prepared for us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you because you are challenging us to match our eagerness with action, to remember all that we have committed to you, to remember all the promises we have made to you, to remember all of the things that you have called us to, and to follow through with them. We ask on this day that you will help us to want to do these things, to get a fire burning inside of us, O oh Lord, that won't leave us alone until we do them. And that, O oh Lord, as we do what you have called us to do, we ask, O oh Lord, that you will pour out blessing until it overflows. We ask that we will see your harvest and that more and more people will come to know Jesus Christ through the ministry of, of this church and through the ministry of its members. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The altar is open if we want prayer as we worship again. <laughs>